Hello, everyone, and welcome to Off Road with Frank Ferraro. And today, our guest is Andrea Catanio. Welcome, Andrea. Hello, Frank. Great to see you again. Great to see you again. I love your studio. Thank you. I've recently redecorated, and so far, everyone really loves it. I love it. I love it. And for those of you that don't know, Andrea is a partner of the law firm MSK. And perhaps you can share a little bit about that. Mitchell Silberberg and Nuff. We call uh, MSK for short, not to be confused with uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering. We actually have been around longer. MSK has been around since 1908, uh, based in Los Angeles, New York, and D.C. And uh, we're a full-service law firm. I'm on the Capital Markets team, but we have a very well-known entertainment uh, practice group. We represent Disney and, and a lot of music companies, and um, it's, it's a cool place. We take clients to the Grammys every year. Uh, because we've got such a, a solid relationship. And on the capital market side, I do so much of what you and I have done for years. I help companies. I help them with financing transactions, going public transactions, and um, really connecting them to the right people. So you know what I love about, about um, working with you is that you always have some pretty interesting companies. And um, you really get to know some of the people that you work with, which is kind of cool. Uh, you've been now starting to interview a lot of these people. And um, when, I, when I just caught up with you, um, you said you had a new interview. Yes. You thought was yeah. The, Thank you so much for, for bringing this up because, um, you know, last July – there were some new rules that came out about the Securities and Exchange Commission issued some new rules about cybersecurity disclosures. And um, someone who I've come to know, who, um, you know, I thought was a very impressive CEO, Brian Haugley uh, of Side Channel Inc. It's a public company, trades on the OTCQB. And in my opinion, this year, they'll probably uplist. And he is a cybersecurity expert. And his disclosures are really the model of, of what all companies should be doing. And he happened to say conversationally that so many public companies are just not getting it right. They don't understand that it's not just, you know, policy information that you have to provide in a 10K. But if there's an incident, you have to understand what it, what makes an incident material and, and why do you have to disclose it on an 8K in four days? Like, What's the impact to investors if there's a security breach. So this guy's super smart, down to earth, and very knowledgeable. And he can help companies too who want maybe an advisor to help them get on track with getting this very important disclosure done. So I had a nice interview with him on Friday, and I would love to share it with you. I think our viewers in particular, since there are so many public companies and service providers in the public company space that like what you and I have to talk about, I think they're going to really find this useful, informative, and I'd love for you to, you know, put it up on off-road. I'd love to share. All right. Well, you know what? Coming up soon, coming up <laughs> right away, and coming up to your interview. All right. Okay. Hey, thanks for coming on, and we'll shoot that interview to everybody listening, and um, hope you come back to off-road next time. Thank you very much. This is Frank Ferraro and Andrew Catania. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye. Ever shown you this place?
so cool. Welcome everyone. Andrea Catanio here, partner with MSK's Capital Markets team. Here today with Brian Haugley, who is erasing something off of his board. He's <laughs> the CEO of Psy Channel, SDCH, trades on the OTCQB. This guy has extensive IT cybersecurity background, including his founding of Real Sizo, a cybersecurity risk assessment SaaS platform. And he's been mm -hmm. the creator and host of Sizo Life YouTube and podcast since, I guess, August of 2019. And he was an adjunct professor at Boston College. A solid leader. I've had the great pleasure of hearing him present. And Brian, welcome to the show. Hope you like how I've revamped my studio. And I like before, it. <laughs> thank you. Uh, before we get into your great insights about cybersecurity disclosures, tell us a fun fact about you. Um, I used to be a very avid mountain climber and ice climber, um, believe it or not. And then I had my daughter and I decided to change my risk management strategy on my life <laughs> that I didn't want to keep pursuing that. And I got into bike racing. I don't know if that's slightly less dangerous, but, uh, yeah, so that's, it's a fun fact I, about I me. I bet statistically fewer people die from bike racing, but it's still kind of dangerous. You're definitely, um... A thrill seeker. I do like uh, I do like being active. I'm very competitive, and yeah, I don't know. It just those those seem to be the things that work for me. So, well, I, I ought to say you're doing something right because those are good characteristics. I think in Thank a you. company CEO, right? You have to be able to assess risk, and you have to be able to sometimes take them and make. Not necessarily a mistake. I don't call them mistakes. You know, you do something in one direction. And, you know, I posted about this recently, how, you know, sometimes it's smarter just to take, you know, you've got a wealth of knowledge and information. Take those calculated risks. Don't hold back because there's just too much to do. And then you could innovate and improve. But on, mm -hmm. on that happy note, um, and that's my philosophy of the world, um, I'm curious, what led you into... Um, the cybersecurity space. What was it that was really your pull? Yeah, so actually it was when I, I got into this when I was very young, when I was about eight years old. I had an uncle back in the back in the mid late 80s um, who was very big into IT and computers and systems and things like that. And um, he actually, after he retired out of, I believe, the Air Force and working in the DOD, he went on to and he created New York State's OTB system the entire off-track betting system. Yeah, when he retired, eventually it took like five people to replace him. But the guy was a, was a really, really into systems and computers and programming. Anyway, he got me into it when I was a kid. I just had a passion for it um, going all through high school and then eventually just turned it into a profession. I, I spent um, a good number of years down in Washington, D.C., working at a variety of different DOD and intelligence community agencies for the federal government and the DOD on national defense. Wow. Um, and then, uh, I, then I ended up getting into, uh, I, got, I got recruited by a Fortune 500 up here in the Boston area. Um, and it's a large insurance carrier. And they, um, they had me, you know, I, I was their, their first chief information security officer. So we say it CISO, or I say it CISO. Some people say CISO. It's all over the place. Uh, as long as you call me Brian, I don't, I don't really care. You know, I should have <laughs> asked. It, it really was, um, yeah, I guess it's tough to really tell. I knew it wasn't real CISO. I knew that, you know, just the positioning of the C, that it had to be CISO or SISO. But, it, you know, having that. It's a big funny thing in the security <laughs> industry. Like, is it CISO or SISO or, you know, like, so don't you, it's, it's kind of, it's like GIF. 
like the animated images. Yes. It's a GIF or GIF. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No, thank, thanks so, for that. Yeah, that's that's just a like. So yeah, I, I you know I did Fortune 500 work, obviously building out a program, being a company's first chief information security officer, and um, you know running you know global operations from from that aspect, and then launching Side Channel, um, you know in 2018, 2019 to really focus in on mid-market commercial small enterprise companies, startups, help them get a chance at actually building a security program um, yeah. that they could that they could uh, feel good about, honestly, and, and not just feel like they just checked a box. Uh, you know, I really am hearing you say much more than, yeah, this was something that I thought I could be good at. You had a mentor, you had someone who really inspired you and I'm hearing that you've got a real vision and a mission to do this work. Um, and not only just to do this work in general, but to do something really special for, for side channel. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, I, this is um, maybe a little fun fact about me. I had no plans of going into IT or cybersecurity when I was in high school. I wanted to be a history teacher. Like I wanted to go to college and, and cause I love history. I just, I love it. And um, but I ended up getting an opportunity in the field very shortly after high school. I didn't go to college right away after high school. And um, that actually made me realize that the thing I was very good at, that I liked as a hobby, that I enjoyed doing, was actually the passion that I could make money at and, and turn into a career. And I've embraced it ever since. I've gone on to, you know, I've sp spoken at countless events. I've done keynotes. I've written a book on the on the U.S.'s national uh, cybersecurity standard, the NIST CSF. So, yeah, I passionate wow. and and kind of into this space is probably an understatement when you when you think about the how much I spend inside of you know cybersecurity yeah. and thinking about risk management. We are talking to the right person, and that really <laughs> kind of brings us to one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you today. Because in our last conversation, I was so impressed with your breadth of knowledge and your level of confidence and certainty and what's necessary now that the SEC has new-ish rules on cybersecurity disclosures. And right. it was really last July that they came out with this rule for public companies to disclose on cybersecurity risk management, strategy governance, but also for incidences, like something right. happens, when do you have to disclose it? You know, it's a typical 8K, you got a four-day, not a two-day, not as, uh, you know, as, as, as much of a disclosure proximity as, let's say, um, you know, an officer or a director selling securities, but, you know, a four day, you've got to disclose if there's an issue. Um, mm -hmm. But you, you seem to have a good handle on what is necessary and what a complete disclosure is. And it sounds to me like a lot of companies are not. So tell us a little bit about your, maybe your insights and how, how detailed do you think these disclosures need to be? Yeah. So I think, um, this, what these new SEC rules and what they call the final rule on cybersecurity, um, what what this is going to feel like for most organizations over the next six to 12 months is what CFOs felt like when SOX, S-O-X, was debuted. And I'm sorry to tell you that you are about to go through that again, but- Remember those to days, a, 2002, a, it was rough. Yeah. A slightly lesser extent in the sense of they are not mandating controls. See, the SEC did something very beautiful in, in their rule. They did not mandate that you do anything in your organization. They, they did not mandate that you implement anything, that you, you actually execute anything. 
What but they bring in an they, expert on your board, which I found a little surprising. Frankly. Yes, that was in the proposed rules. They pulled all right. of that back. What they have done is they have said this is not to shape your cybersecurity program, and they say this in the in the comments of the uh, of the final ruling. This was not to influence building your security program. This was to inform investors about what you do. So the SEC is now forcing, and through the disclosures, for you to disclose what you're doing across your incident response, your, your, your risk and strategic view of how you deal with risk, your management of that risk, the governance from the board, the management team, the individuals, the personnel of that risk. So you could, I've kind of joked about this, you could basically say on a 10K under item 1C, cybersecurity, which to date, most people just say not applicable. And if you search all those 10Ks on, on Edgar, you will see everyone's 1C just says not applicable. You could say, we do not have any cybersecurity processes in place. And you would, I think you would, I'm not a lawyer, you are, Andrea, but like you, you, I believe you would be compliant with what the SEC is saying. You're basically disclosing you don't have anything. Now, Right, which I is joke the about risk that. that you're you're informing the public of. Right, right. Now I joke about that because no one wants to write that statement, right? Everybody wants to be able to point to so that investors who are reading the 10K can feel comfortable that the company that they're investing their money in is doing the right thing around cybersecurity. And that's what the SEC and I think the disclosures that the SEC has has honed in on to force disclosure on are the right ones. Um, we could go back and forth whether or not the SEC should have mandated um, expertise in board members on the board and other aspects. But you know what? This is the SEC's first step in doing this. I mean, if you look back at the 2018 guidance uh, that the SEC put out as well, um, but this is really the first enforcement of, of something. I think this is a good first step. I don't think this is going to be the end. I think we will eventually see uh, kind of how NAIC um, lobbied New York State to put together the DFS. Uh, um, uh, rules for financial services and insurance inside New York State, you will see a first iteration, you will see adoption, you will see fines for people not disclosing correctly, you will see modifications by companies over the next two years, and then I think you'll see in two years the SEC come back and go, okay, the first the first iteration was was good, but it's not great, so we're going to have now here's version two and we're going to add to it, but for right now, there's quite a bit that needs to go into the disclosures. They're, they're pretty, it's, it's be, a lot of people are unfortunately just kind of looking at, I'll get the right on my board here, um, what we in the cybersecurity space called IR or the incident response, yeah. which you, 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 you correctly said, you have four days, unless you have an attorney general or the US government state that what you're going to disclose is a national security concern, which is gonna be far and few between, uh -huh. um, you have four days to disclose a material cybersecurity incident, and the SEC uh, states and defines what a cybersecurity incident is. You have to and define what's material. What's, yeah, you have to define what's material. Is really, right? that's always difficult for, for especially new public companies. Right. Can you explain to me what material materiality is? And it so often it's relative, um, and there are a lot of things that go into what's what's material, and you know, is it meaningful, and does it impact? A variety of things and you know really for people who are listening how might you characterize in in your company or really mm -hmm. 
generally speaking, what would you say is a good example of, is it a material, is it a breach that is of a certain uh, impact or value? Like, do you have some right. examples that might be beneficial to uh, the listeners? So, yeah. So, you know, materiality, I think, is going to be determined by every company for themselves, as I think it should be. Now, I uh, I would give you some tools in which to figure that out. And um, I would actually generally lean on my general counsel and my outside counsel to really help me determine this. You know, if I'm the CFO or if I am the CISO at an organization or shaping and looking at cyber, I'm going to lean on my law partner to determine, hey, if what I'm about to say is material and define it as such, and that's what we're going to use going forward, are we okay with that? I would say impact to your revenue stream. So you've got, you know, you know, are you going to usually impact your revenue? Are you going to impact a customer um, or a high concentration of customers? Are you yeah. going to, if you're in manufacturing or mining or anything that deals with availability, are you going to impact any of your operational technologies, any of your machines, anything that needs to be running? Right. Whether you're drilling in the ground, because you can't if the drills stop, you can't make up time. You can't drill faster, more right. safely. Right. Very fast if you're, circumstances. Yep. Um, yeah. Related. You know, if you have um, if you have any type of manufacturing. Right. And you shut down the line somehow. Now the widgets can't be built. Sure. Right? You can't make up time. So time is a big thing um, with that. So if you're impacting the operational technology, and I think the last area to really hone in on is just, you know, your financials um, by themselves. Is your accounting system, your ERP, your, infra your IT infrastructure that supports the CFO, the, the accountants, the, the, the finance teams, has that been compromised in any way that would preclude you from either doing a timely filing, Mm -hmm. correctly determining what your profit and loss, you know, is to build your balance sheet, your cash flow, and um, any other forecasts. Like, are those systems compromised? Is the integrity of the data still good so that you can know, oh, we were profitable this quarter? Can you say that with certainty? So if you're impacting these areas, these are areas, as a cyber professional, these are the areas that I want to protect. Yeah. So I'm going to say, have a conversation with CFO and say, listen, if, if any of these were impacted, would you agree that that would be considered and we could define those as a material incident that yeah. if that happened, we would have four days to disclose? And I think that would be a very good conversation and a good starting point to look at instead of just, hey, it's a dollar value above $10 million, yeah. right? I think there's some underlying aspects that we need to look at beyond just dollar figure. Yeah, $10 million to a $10 million company that's obvious. $10 million to a $10 billion company, kind of a drop in the bucket, not as obvious. If that's the only litmus test we're using is dollar value, I think we're losing other insights to be able to determine, to, to be able to determine materiality. Already listed on an exchange but feel lost among companies clamoring for media attention. Tired of going from city to city hoping your story will find its way to the global market? If so, Corporate Roadshow has the answer. Quick, affordable, and without all the road trips. We are the perfect choice for promising public companies looking to gain exposure as a public entity. It all starts with a top flight presentation. You've worked hard to create an exciting product or service. Now it's time to impress the capital markets with a professionally produced video presentation at CorporateRoadshow.com. 
We help you select the production format that's right for you. It may be a one-on-one -on -one interview with top management, or a presentation in front of business professionals, or a video conference interview. Whichever way you go, rely on CorporateRoadshow.com to execute the arrangements to the We professionally videotape and edit your presentation. Then we add eye-catching graphics and music, then digitize the video for broadcast on CorporateRoadshow.com. Think about it. An exciting corporate presentation targeted to the global business community. And to get a digitized version of that presentation, which enables you to email your presentation to any database you choose. We at Corporate Roadshow pride ourselves on possessing creativity and know-how necessary for the production of quality video presentations. Whether it be hosting your video or producing a webcast on the latest broadband technology, Corporate Roadshow is dedicated to applying our tools and talents toward facilitating the exchange of your ideas. It all adds up to global exposure, all courtesy of CorporateRoadshow.com. Go to www.CorporateRoadshow.com today and see for yourself. With CorporateRoadshow.com, you get worldwide exposure for your company without traveling the world. And it's all just a mouse click away. You know, I, I think that's incredibly valuable. And while the attorneys are so important in helping uh, client companies determine the materiality of a particular incident, it sounds to me like someone with your expertise is so necessary in getting many companies to really understand how an incident might impact investors. And okay. I'm wondering if there's anything else, any other, A, tidbits, and B, ways that you can potentially help companies, maybe as an advisor. Um, mm -hmm. What do you have maybe to share about that? And then maybe we could sum up with how folks could get in touch with you sure. to, to really, I think, be better prepared um, because this is this is so important. It is, it is. And I, I forgot to leave the last one. What's your intellectual property? Ah. If your special sauce leaves the, leaves the kitchen, how long can you stay in business for? That's another huge area. I'm sorry, I forgot that. So I think, you know, how to prepare and how to work with us. Right now, there's a lot of focus on just this aspect. The ability to determine if you have a material incident and can I report in four days. That is only one aspect. It's actually, I believe, a small aspect of what the SEC is talking about. The other areas are risk management and the governance. And when you look at the controls that are actually put out, uh, the disclosure requirements, this is one line. This is 12 lines of things to do. These are 12 ind individual specific things you need to hone in on. So being proactive is the name of the game here because you have to talk about what you've done over the past 12 months, your, your fiscal year, what you have to do in a quarter, right? IR, incident response is only when that thing happens. And you're only going to deal with this when it happens. Now, in order to be able to do this, you need to have a capability in place to be able to determine, did you have an incident? Did you have a cyber breach? Did you have an incident? Have you have any of these things actually happened? Yeah. If you don't have the ability to monitor and detect for this type of stuff, how will you know you had an incident to then be able to disclose within four days? And yeah. if your incident response process is to date, then, well, I'm just going to wait until somebody tells me I've had an incident because I've affected them. That's probably yeah. not going to fly. 
This is where now, the policy really comes into place, why it's it so does. important to have that policy and to have that disclosed in your 10K and not to say something really like not applicable or we don't have one. You've got to set something in place so that you know what to do. It's like yep. the crew on the ship being prepared for a disaster. I bring that example up because I was on a ship that sank once and the crew oh. was not very prepared. So um, you got to have the policy. And You're that's, right. you know, that that's critical. Is there like... I don't want to say boilerplate policy information, but is there a baseline of information that can be provided aside from what's given on um, the SEC website, which I'll put in the in the chat for folks who want to you know click on it and read? Yeah, I think. But are there some uh, real baseline things you can share? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. So, so one, Side Channel itself is a publicly traded company. We're on the OTC. Um, we were the first company to publish. In a 10K, just recently, we just filed our 10K because our um, fiscal year ends uh, in September. So we just published our 10K. Go ahead and read our, our, our 10K, SDCH. Look under item 1C. Look what we wrote to disclose and talk about our cybersecurity capabilities to meet the SEC requirements. I believe that is going to be, a, a, I don't want to say the standard because I don't want to say that we're the best, but I believe that that is a good indicator of the type of content that needs to go into a disclosure statement and the level at which you need to be able to disclose in detail. SEC has explicitly said, we don't need to know details and specifics about things. We don't want you to tell us the world things that could compromise you later on, but you do need to talk about high level processes, capabilities, yeah. governance. And I think if you read that, you'll, uh, I think you'll get a pretty good understanding. So SDCH is our stock ticker. You can see our 10K in there. But a lot of it is centering around what you've built before and, and how the governance is set to look at what you're doing today, not just dealing with the incident. So, yeah, there's a lot of capabilities. Um, we deliver into our clients uh, policy templates, but then we also build in the governance and the structure to manage it on a go forward basis. If you're if you're thinking about policies, oh, we wrote that and it sits on a shelf and it only gets looked at when the auditors come in every two, three years, you don't have an effective policy. It needs to be part of your training. You need to look at your cybersecurity policies like you do your human resources policies. Mm -hmm. They're ongoing. There's an expectation out of people to understand what's their responsibility. What authorities do people have in the organization to be able to make the, set, the, 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 the call? Hey, we're compromised. We need to shut that system down. I don't care if it makes me a million dollars a day. That needs to be turned off. Otherwise, we're going to impact all of operations. Who has that authority in an organization? You need to be able to determine all of that type of stuff mm -hmm. in peacetime, not during an incident. The worst time to pick up your incident response plan is when you're first having an incident. That needs to be something you have read, tabletop exercise previously with the board, with your leadership team. And a lot of folks might listen to this and go, oh my God, this, you know, we're a small company or we're a nano cap or a small cap. This sounds like it's too much. It's too much if you're looking to integrate enterprise level cybersecurity into your organization. Mm -hmm. You can right size. And that's a lot of what I've been focusing on since I left the Fortune 500 in the corporate world is getting small businesses, mid-sized businesses, commercial sized businesses to understand that there is a scalable capability and model yeah, for an organization cool. your size to be able to, yeah, to, to, to do this sort of thing. It is not impossible. The worst thing you can do is say, oh, I'm not gonna do it because it, you know, it's, I'm, not a, I'm not a target or enterprise capabilities are too big for me and then do nothing. That's, that is a terrible idea. It's going to put you in a bad spot, both from an operational standpoint, and it's going to put you on the wrong side of the SEC's eyes. Uh, agreed. This is so valuable. And um, in addition to uh, asking you to perhaps give your website or a way that people could get um, in touch with you if they'd like to have you help them, 
um, we've got to talk offline about some speaking opportunities that you might not have thought about, or you might have, um, where public companies can really hear this in a panel discussion or just you know, um, there are gatherings of public companies all over the country mm. on a regular basis. I sit on the board of the National Investment Banking Association. Uh, there's an upcoming event that DealFlow is having in Atlantic City, um, January 30th, 31st, February 1st at, at Caesars, I believe. I could put you in touch mm. with those folks. Um, this this is really useful information that companies need to know. And they don't, many of them don't even realize um, how important it is and what could happen if they don't comply? What might happen if an investor, a shareholder is impacted and these disclosures haven't been made? And right. that's not where someone wants to be. A public company no. need that headache, right? Right. Yeah. So um, you can find us at um, sidechannel.com. Um, if you're on LinkedIn or Twitter, you can find us anywhere on there. We're pretty, pretty uh, vocal about just trying to give back to the community and, and and talking about these subjects and just trying to inform people about, you know, not just these, but we deal a lot with NIST and ISO and SOC 2 and HIPAA compliance. I mean, we're, we really do focus quite a bit on uh, regulatory um, requirements and cybersecurity, you know, at large. The SEC is just the, the latest batch of cybersecurity regulations to uh, come out that are now going to impact yeah. uh, both our client base and, and ideally prospective client base. But yeah, happy to talk to anybody. I love giving talks. I mean, I just love being part of this and, and helping people out and better with, understand. With honesty, humility, you are such a great speaker. I mean, Thank you. <laughs> I was so impressed the first time I, I, I heard you speak and, and saw you present. Uh, but this is really um, valuable. And I, I thank you so much. And I put in, in the chat, I just put the um, you know link to uh, what was published by the SEC, but so much more, um, I think, direct, thorough information can come from you in speaking with a company. So companies, be in touch with Brian. And Brian, let's talk more uh, about lots of things. Thank you Definitely. so, so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Me too. You take care.